0: And welcome back to the next episode, episode 82, actually, of the Cold Beer and Cool Movie Podcast. Hi, my name is Dustin.
1: And I'm Lakeisha.
0: And welcome back to uh, the Portland Centric Podcast where we talk about uh, good brand new beers and hopefully a good brand new movie. Hope so. Fingers crossed. This week, though, we're taking a step back in time before we talk about something in the near future, revisiting an old favorite of mine, anyway. And yours too, I think.
1: It's a pretty good one.
0: 2004. Hellboy. That's right. Original Recipe Hellboy. We're going to try to do a podcast on both of the Hellboy movies in advance of the new movie that comes out here in a few weeks.
1: Right. I'm intrigued about the reboot. Yeah. Not fully convinced. It looks like it's going to be fun.
0: Yeah, for sure. But not
1: fully convinced.
0: Super interesting as both previous uh, Guillermo del Toro films were PG-13... You know, kind of fun, right? Uh, comic booky movies. The reboot is supposed to be like a, a bloody, you know, rated R. Oh, really? Yes, it's supposed to be rated R.
1: I did not realize that.
0: So I know, and uh, but I, you know, I can see see your concern. I just really uh, kind of came late to Hellboy as a character, but I really have fallen in love with him uh, in the comics as well as the two movies that have been made. So I'm just happy that he continues to exist.
1: Yeah. I mean so. that is cool. I mean I think that I am not as familiar with Hellboy, the comics, but I've read a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mostly I'm a big Ron Perlman fan. Yeah, he's great. And so uh, I my kind of like introduction or willingness to even watch Hellboy uh, really was because I like Ron Perlman, and I right. was like, ooh. Well, I like him, so I'm sure the movie will be fine. And then I enjoyed the movie.
0: Is that what brought you to the movie, just that Ron Perlman was in it? Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Because I I didn't know that Hellboy, this was before I got back into comics in a big way. So I just remember seeing it coming out and thinking, weird. This movie looks really weird. And I'm pretty sure I went and saw it by myself in a theater. I didn't know it was based on a comic book property until after it was over. Huh. And then went and started looking into it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I honestly can't remember because, uh, you know, 2004 was a long time ago. Right. Uh, if I knew that it was a comic book before I went and saw the movie, I feel like I did because typically, you know, even back then they had the internet. Sure. And so I would, when I was really interested in something, like, oh, look that looks up. good. So yeah. I would start looking it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what brought me to Hellboy was simply that I'm a Ron Perlman fan. Okay. So to, this new one. Coming out does not have Ron Perlman. No. So I'm stuck a little.
0: Well, all right. Well, we'll see. <laughs> all right. Well, before we talk about the uh, Hellboy, which we just saw last night, uh, we'll go, we have a couple of beverages to review. Yes, we do. You go first.
1: Okay. Um, so I am drinking a beer from Modern Times Beer, um, which we've had before. We've talked about before oh sure um on the podcast but uh just a quick reminder this is an employee owned brewery mm-hmm. which i think is super interesting there are, i haven't been a ton of those that we've come across but i think it's a really interesting idea um, i like that they describe themselves as an intrepid cadre of brewers coffee roasters hmm. and culinary wizards that began as a 30 barrel production brewery and tasting room in Point Loma neighborhood of San Diego. Right. Um. They are in 2017. They were that's when they actually became an uh, employee owned brewery. Uh, they were the first batch was brewed in, on May 18th, 2013. Uh, the first beer went on tap June twenty fourth of two thousand thirteen, and then they really their grand opening was that September. Yeah. So they they had opened and been around for you know four years prior to become becoming employee owned, um, but now they've spread out. They're in um, they're distributed in California, Arizona, Nevada, Pacific Northwest. Right. They actually have a tap house or a tap room in Portland now, right. and they have one in LA. Um, which I think is pretty cool. They're about to open one in Santa Barbara. So they're definitely expanding, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. Um, and I love that they, (laughs) they decided that they now have a, uh, entire warehouse appropriately dubbed the Fortress of Ratitude.
0: Oh yes. I've heard of this. Yeah. Uh,
1: that has, uh. Where they store their barrel-aged and special project beers, mm. but I just think it's funny that they—they're calling it the Fortress of Ratitude. Yes. So, yeah. um, so I am drinking in honor of the movie that we um we watched and that we're going to be talking about. I have the Blazing World Amber. Okay. Um, it is hoppy, dank, and dank. They said, um, it's it's actually pretty good. It's an interesting amber, you know I think I've gotten used to um, Hoppy Reds
0: uh-huh. you know
1: or India red ales so I'm I was I guess I'm unprepared for the almost the mildness of this amber uh-huh. it's it's still pretty flavorful which okay. I really like um it's got 60 IBUs which I also like um but other than that it's I don't know it's pretty uh i don't know just mild it's easy to drink which i like that's not a bad thing at all Uh um i like that they talk about it they say that um despite its amber hue blazing world is pleasingly dry sporting a light bready malt backbone that serves as a platform for the huge and complex hop profile Mm -hmm. i don't really taste a huge and complex hop profile but i do get the pleasingly dry And even the lightly bready malt. I don't really know what that means, but I can taste it. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. so this is one of their uh, annual beers or like year-round beers, which I think is pretty cool. And then they have, I think it's hilarious. So they have six beers that they do all year. Yeah. They're called the Core Cans. Sure. And then they have seasonal cans, which they uh, distribute four times a year. And then they have their monthly special releases that come out every two months. Huh. So I'm pretty intrigued. I feel that like sounds, we need... like a lot. It is, but pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I think it, we need to go to their, their tasting room in Portland.
0: Yeah, for sure. I,
1: mean. um, I also just want to pause that in addition to that, they do in fact have um, a whole blend of coffee that they taste. Okay. That they are selling. Uh, Black House coffee beans, Guardian Spirit coffee. Okay. Uh, you can even get a coffee growler. I feel like I need one of those. You put Just like
0: a 64 ounce jug of coffee.
1: Oh, I hope so. Ugh.
0: That sounds amazing. No, thank you.
1: Ah, sounds great. Um, but yeah, they have about eight different blends of coffee that they also brew.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So there we go. All
0: right. And now for something completely different.
1: Oh, yes.
0: So, again, in honor of the movie this week, uh, not only is there a new Hellboy movie this year, this is the 25th anniversary of Hellboy, Mm -hmm. from its first being uh, published by Dark Horse Comics. And uh, Portland's own gigantic brewing, which we've talked about several times. We've Uh, been to several times. We've been there. I've hosted uh, pub trivia there a handful of times. Neat little place. And they are brewing a series of beers in honor of Hellboy's 25th anniversary and the new movie coming out. The first of these is the the uh the one specifically for Hellboy. It is the maple syrup pancakes beer. Right. Before I describe the beer, let me explain why they decided to make a maple syrup <laughs> pancake beer for Hellboy. So there's a short two-page there's a two-page short story that appears in Hellboy comics that is simply entitled Pancakes. It takes place in the 1940s when Hellboy is essentially a child.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. He's living on an army base. He's called to breakfast. Some military officer gives him a pile of pancakes. Hellboy turns his nose up at it like a child might do if he's presented with something he doesn't want to eat. (laughs) He has said, you've never had pancakes before. Just try them. Have just one bite. He's forced to eat one bite. Open wide. He eats them and he goes, hey, I love it. Smash cut to the capital city of hell. <laughs> all these demons are crying out in, pan- ah, in anguish. There's this one big demon who looks like he's like a leader demon. And he's saying, what is all the noise about? And one of the demons who've been screaming in anguish, it is the boy. He has eaten the pancake. He will never come back to us now. <laughs> the lead demon then says, truly, this is our blackest hour. I love that little two-page story. And that is why this beer exists. Um, and let me just say, it as soon as you smell it, it smells like you could just open this beer, crack open the bottle, and pour it on your pancakes. Correct. And eat it. It's it is. maple. It's it, maple syrup. It's it's Without it, I mean, it's not as thick as syrup, but it tastes just like maple syrup. It tastes like breakfast.
1: Right. It smells like it should be thick. Thick maple syrup.
0: It does. And it tastes like it should be thicker than it is, too. It literally feels like you could pour it on a plate of pancakes and you'd be fine. Right. Uh, It's tough to drink as a beer. I'm not going (laughs) to lie. Uh, I probably won't have a ton of this. I am reminded of four years ago when Hellboy turned 21. Yeah. A different brewery, Rogue Brewing, another favorite of ours, made uh, the Right Hand of Doom Red Ale, which was really great. We had several bottles of that. I probably will not have several bottles of this, but I appreciate <laughs> what they're doing, applying it canonically to a thing that is really fun and that it's really different. They're making uh, six, like I said, six different beers based on characters. All the other different beers they're making are things that I probably will not try because I'm not, they are all weird. There's the Liz. We Sh-
1: have to try a couple of these. There's
0: the Liz Sherman Mole Chili Stout. The Johann Krauss Citrus Wit Beer. I want to try that. Abe Sapien indigo, indigo Blue Fruit Ale.
1: I want to try that too.
0: The Blood Queen Cranberry Yuzu Sour. Yes. You don't want that. I do. Really? I do. A sour.
1: I want to try that.
0: Okay. The Trevor Brutonholm British Barley Wine.
1: Yeah, I could probably do without that.
0: All of them are 6.6% alcohol by volume.
1: Except for the Trevor Brutonholm. The Barley
0: Wine is 999 <laughs> Yeah. But I do like that they're all six, you know, triple sixes when it comes to that. So, uh, you know,
1: can I just say I also think it's funny because they are creating six hundred sixty-six cases. cases, right? Yeah. as Well,
0: yeah. So it's, I mean, it's fun. I'm glad I'm having it. I probably won't have another bottle of it because it is really sweet. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, I'm, it's cool that they did this.
1: Right. It's a cool label.
0: It's a cool label. It's a cool idea out of the box kind of different. Right. You know, and uh, so, yeah, that's what I'm having. The Hellboy (laughs) Maple Syrup Pancake Stout. Uh, Maple syrup infuses every part of this tempting breakfast beer. Give it a try. It might change your life. It won't, but that's what it says on the bottle.
1: Right. It smells like it might, though.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe. Maybe maybe if you're looking, because maybe beer isn't just for breakfast anymore. I don't
1: know. Maybe what we need to do is, I bet if we actually had like waffles yeah. or pancakes, mm-hmm. this beer might taste different.
0: Maybe. Or maybe it's just that's... Because I'm not... Are you going to pour it on your pancakes or are you going to have syrup on your pancakes and then drink this?
1: I don't know. I feel like we could experiment. Okay. I feel like you need to make me pancakes now.
0: Oh, well.
1: Or waffles. You are... I you do like, like to make waffles.
0: Waffles over pancakes every time. Sweet. All right. Okay. So, uh, So, <laughs> that silliness out of the way. Uh, we'll get to Hellboy. Yes. The original recipe, Hellboy, directed by Guillermo del Toro, 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen it a ton of times. And uh, so, yeah. So, uh, if you haven't listened to us before, we've each come up with our three favorite things about this movie. And we'll have go back and forth sharing them with each other for the first time now. Spoiler alert for a movie that's over a decade old.
1: Right. I don't think it counts as a spoiler alert. Right. When a movie came out 15 years ago. Right.
0: Well, we're not really not going to care about the plot details right. as we talk about this one. And we'll get into other things later on. Uh, but yeah, you'll go first.
1: Okay. Um. So my number one is actually the reason that I was ever interested in seeing this movie in the first place. Okay. Which is Ron Perlman uh-huh. as Hellboy. Um, I don't know why, but Ron Perlman um, is an actor that I just really enjoy. He mm-hmm. can. He has been in some of the cheesiest movies and some really, really good ones. Yeah. Um, and I will watch them all. Okay. So, um, he even was in Amazon Prime. Had him. He was in a series, um, more recently, and it was, it just had a slow burn. The first season, so I didn't Uh really get into it. But I totally suffered through at least three episodes just because Ron Perlman is in it. What
0: series was this?
1: Um it's called now I gotta look it up because I totally closed my browser window. Give me a second. Um anyway, like I would say some of his cheesier things, he's in that um Blade, the second one. Right. Right, and uh he's hilarious even then.
0: Another Guillermo del Toro movie.
1: Yes. That is true. I totally forgot about that. No. Nope. Um, so I just I enjoy h- him in his different pieces. The movie or the series is called Hand of God, um, okay. and it went ran for that. like three or four seasons. Right. Um, it was it was interesting. Like I said, really slow burn yeah. first season, which made it really hard to get through. Um, but I was doing it be- because of him. Um, I also love that he was the original Beast Yeah, the way old, back.
0: The 80s Beauty and the Beast in the, TV yes. series. In the original
1: Beauty and the Beast TV series, right?
0: Uh, starring what's-her-name from Terminator? She was also in it, wasn't yes. she? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes, you are correct. A very, very young uh, what's-her-face. I can't even...
0: Married James Cameron for a while. Oh, man. We'll get to it. Yeah. You know who we're talking about. Linda Hamilton. Linda Hamilton. Got yes. it. Just took me a while.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so he's great. I adore him. I totally went to go see this movie because he was in it. Yeah. Um, and he's a great hellboy. Yeah. Like, Ron Perlman himself is, like, he's just a really big guy. Yeah. Um. And, you know, he Hellboy is supposed to be an imposing figure. Yes. So, um, kind of makes Ron Perlman perfect when they put him through his four hours worth of makeup. Uh,
0: Seems like it should be longer, if I'm honest.
1: Well, I've seen one that said four and one that seen eight that saw that it took him eight hours. Yeah. But um, just to do like his face and head was four hours. Yeah. So, and that's what I'm going with. Yeah. Um, But anyway, he was in his 50s when he made this movie. Mm -hmm. And I think it's hilarious because one thing I read described him as he's a man in his 50s playing a a creature in his 60s who looks like he's in his 30s. Right. And acts
0: like he's in his 20s. Or as they they specifically say in in the movie, think 20s, like reverse dog years or whatever that that line is.
1: Right. and I do think that that is, like, Ron Perlman does a great job with that. Like, mm-hmm. he, he's irreverent. He is um, brash. And he dives into all of his alien fights without thinking everything through all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he's, he's the rogue hero that wings it. <laughs> you know, um, he continually escapes and, uh, from the BPRD. Which drives all of his handlers crazy, Mm -hmm. um, and yet is super charming and fun. Uh, So I just really like it. I think it's great. He's he's great in it. You know that moment where he is on the rooftop spying on on Liz, his uh, love interest, and Agent Myers, and he's hanging out up there with a nine year old boy while they're like spying, and his and the boy has brought cookies and milk. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, they're just these great, great scenes with him where he gets to display his charm. Mm-hmm. So, so that's number one.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate Ron Perlman because he is... Um, he doesn't look like a guy that should be starring in anything. You know, especially just the way Hollywood works now.
1: Yeah, you that's know? probably true. He
0: doesn't have typical attractive features. Put it that way. You know, so that he is the lead in anything is i mean even this is kind of interesting and he has a very interesting career mm-hmm. sons of anarchy right you that's know, where that's most another big from. one yeah and uh yeah he's a and we saw him uh speak at a, at a comic book convention once rose city comic con really really cool interesting guy
1: mm-hmm.
0: so yeah i really like ron, ron perlman a lot as well so
1: oh yeah i mean he's hannibal chow Pacific Rim. Right, right? and how does he get another
0: Guillermo del Toro movie? Right,
1: and how does he come up with his name? Do you remember? No, I don't. Oh yeah, he came up with it because of his two. It's his two uh, heroes, favorite heroes. Hannibal Lecter. Right, and then I forget who the other one is, but I just remember Uh being like, "Okay, of course it is." Yeah, and he wears his pointed leather skin boots. Mm -hmm. So funny.
0: Okay. So, for my first thing, uh, my first favorite thing, the so that opening sequence that takes place back in World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a I, it takes place off the island off the coast of Scotland. You see a bunch of Nazi weirdos and scientists and Rasputin, yeah, that Rasputin, right, uh, trying to bring forth the Aragdu Jihad. These crazy serpentine Lovecraftian creatures, right, to help to try to. Turned the tide of the war. And I love that sequence because when I saw it the first time, I just felt it was just imagery-wise. It was just so crazy Mm -hmm. and cool and captivating and really brought you into something super weird, right? Yeah. And then when I went and started looking into the comic books, I saw that not only was it all of that, it was something that was essentially pulled right off the page, mm-hmm. I mean, right down to the costumes of some of the Nazi characters. Uh, Brasputin's wearing this weird glove, big glove with a bunch of <laughs> bulbs, like some sort of weird science fiction contraption on his hand. I'm going to pull up and show Lakeisha a page from the Sea to Destruction graphic novel.
1: Oh, look at that. Look at
0: that. Isn't that not... And you see, like, uh, you know, Klaus right up here. Yeah, Cronin. Cronin, right, yeah. And you see, like, and how, like, the Nazis all had these goggles and there's Rasputin right there with his weird... Whatever right. those are.
1: And those are... That, like, Rasputin only had the one of them. Right. In the in movie. In the movie. Right? right. Interesting also on his right hand.
0: Yes. So just that, uh, that kind of... Initial, I mean, they did change several things when they made the adaptation, but that sort of level of respect, because it literally once I went and read uh, that first uh, collection, Seat of Destruction, and just saw that, like, wow, that uh, Mike McNeola's weird gothic artwork they put up on the screen, mm-hmm. it looked incredible, and it got the movie started off wonderfully. Right, it really pulled you in. Uh, you know, the character of Professor Broom or Trevor Brutenholm. There with the GIs and uh, discovering Hellboy, really fun and sets the stage perfectly for this wi- weird science fiction fantasy whatever you want to describe it as. Right. So that first sequence is my fa- one of my favorite things.
1: I, we, when we were watching it, I even looked at you and I was like, oh my gosh, I forget about that first sequence and how mm-hmm. good it is. Typically, you know, by the time. I come in and, like, turn it on or sit down to watch the movie. Yeah. You know, it's well past that beginning part. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is really a good sequence. Yeah. Um, even though they did have to include the Wilhelm scream, which I thought was ridiculous. <laughs> I can just recognize that now. Wherever it is in any movie, it's I'm like, of, oh, there's it, the Wilhelm scream.
0: It takes you out of it. It I does. I wish it would re- be retired,
1: yes, I'm honest. Yes, it needs to be retired. Yeah. Um, but I also think that Guillermo del, Tor- del Toro... Um, is amazing at creating um, beautiful imagery. Yes. On on the big screen, like, Partic- and the fact that he did it with such kind of care and loving recreation of Mike Mignola's work mm-hmm. is really cool. Yeah. You know, I get it. I get that most people did not like um, the movie The Watchmen. Right. But. One of the things that I appreciated about that movie was how many images for, in the movie came directly off the page, um, and I feel like that's something that Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro did really well here too. Was yeah. Was just, uh, especially with this first movie, he just made some beautifully Im- beautiful imagery. Yeah. And I'll talk about that a little bit. It's it's linked to one of my three. Okay. So. Okay. Right, next oh one. well, we're already at we're my right, number hit. two. Yes. Great. Uh so my number two is Samael. Oh. And the guy who plays Samael.
0: The Hellhound.
1: The Hellhound. Like just just to be clear, you got Samael is the desolate one. The Lord of the Shadows. The harbinger of pestilence. The seed of destruction. destruction. At Tip this of the point, hats. Right. At this point in time. Uh, Hellboy interrupts Abe Sapien, who is reading this off to him, and is like, yeah, 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 let me see how I can kill it. Right. Um, and then finally, Abe Sapien comes back and says, oh, he is also the Hound of Resurrection, um, which is great because Hellboy just believes he's killed the Hellhound, and now he has to turn around and, and fight semi- it again. L gets back up and right. he has to fight it again. Um, and come on, you got to appreciate something that has been imprisoned only by... The Tears of a Thousand Angels. Right. Right? That's just poetic. Yes. Um, but anyway, I, I love the fact that, you know, the Hound of Resurrection does, in fact, resurrect. So you get multiple fight scenes throughout this movie mm-hmm. between Hellboy and Samael, which I actually think is kind of fun. You know, typically... In many monster movies, it's kind of just cutting through as many different monsters as possible. Right, and so the fact that Hellboy every time he turns around, uh, Samuel's back, you mm-hmm. know, to fight him again. Yeah, um, and Hellboy is just kind of like, by the time you know the fourth or fifth time, he's just like, ah, again. Yeah, um, but he's still like, you know, it's a it's a decent fight every single time. Mm-hmm. Um. But then Rasputin has added to the Hound of Resurrection's already kind of huge power um, by adding a spell where he says, Well, every time Samael dies, two will come back in his place right. rather than just, just, just one. Just, yeah. So you get multiple Samael's coming back. So um so yeah, so I think that you Samael as a as a character is pretty great in this mm-hmm. movie. But also um, the actor who's in who is, who is in the suit who's dressed up as Samuel um, also deserves kind of a shout out. Um, and I'm going to pause because a lot of people recognize Doug Jones now. Sure. Doug Jones is Ape Sapien in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also um, in The Shape of Water. Right. He's um, in Pan's Labyrinth. If mm-hmm. you haven't seen Pan's Labyrinth. Go see Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, my gosh. It's so creepy and so good. Um, But anyway, he's a great actor, and he's a great character actor. Like, he almost never speaks in the movies that we're really used to seeing, Mm -hmm. but we know who he is. Um, I feel people also need to know Brian Steele, the guy who is Samael in this movie. Um, He is also in Hellboy, The Golden Army. He is Wink, the really big guy that has oh, okay. the like... Mm-hmm. The, metal, you know, the metal retracting hand. Yeah, the yeah. metal fist that yeah. it retracts out. And, yeah. um, but he's actually multiple characters in that movie, okay. not just Wink. Um, he is also the robot in Netflix's Lost in Space. Okay. Um, he's the werewolf in the second Underworld movie, which I actually really liked Underworld and Underworld Evolution. So mm-hmm. you can judge me for that later. Um First one, and, was fine. And he's Harry in Harry and the Henderson's. Oh wow. Right? That was his That's first it. role. Wow. Um but anyway, you should look up um his IMDB profile and just mm. see all of the different creatures and characters he has performed at in over the years. Yeah. It's impressive. Um and his sheer athleticism as um Oh, we're being joined by Sassy, yes. the podcast dog. Um, his sheer athleticism as his character in Samael and the fact that he has to do so many, so many scenes. Like his, most of his acting career is either in these crazy costumes yeah, or in motion capture suits that are mm-hmm. going to become, um, you know, so went to, to be overlaid with CGI. So I just thought he was a great, he did a great job. In that, in the role of that character. Yeah. Um, but also, I just thought that, that Samael as um, a recurring, a repeat opponent for Hellboy. Yeah. was pretty cool.
0: It's a pretty good creature design. Yes. It's very creepy how his, like, spine can rotate mm-hmm. almost is really effective and ugh, makes, right. you, makes you make that noise. Right. Ugh. Anytime it happens. And it really speaks to... I wish, like, guys like that, like Mr. Steele, and also, like, just stunt people in general. I wish there was more. I wish, like, uh, you know, because there's been talk about the Oscars. May- should they have an award for stunt work?
1: Oh, definitely. You they know, should.
0: I would really appreciate that. And also these sorts of effects jobs, you know, because if that guy doesn't do the performance he does, this movie isn't nearly as good, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, I agree. That's then it. you're
1: just like, ah, some guy in a puppet suit. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: Alright And speak kind of My next thing is kind of A little offshoot of that Uh, Speaking of Doug Jones uh, Abe Sapien in this movie Mm -hmm. Is a great character Yes Um, He's quite different Really from the comic book version But I And it's a weird instance Where they make that change And I like them both Mm -hmm. Because normally If they make a change For an adaptation It's usually one or the other Right Oh this is an improvement Or what are they doing
1: Right You've totally changed the character Yeah
0: In this, in the in the movie, Abe is an intellectual. um, They gave him some kind of weird empathic, Mm -hmm. telepathic ability, uh, which he does not have in the books. Uh, And but also he's kind of um, I hate saying the word physically weak, but he's not a fighter. He doesn't really fight anybody. He he needs Hellboy to bail him out of those situations. In the case in the in the books, Abe Sapien is a field agent. Okay, he packs a gun. He can handle himself, <laughs> you know. But it's a, so he's a very more hardened guy than this character. But they're both good for different reasons. But Doug Jones is perfor- and uh, uh, who, Niles and Frazier is the guy who voices him, right? David yeah. Hyde Pierce, mm-hmm. who did not take a credit in this movie right. because he wanted Doug Jones to be credited fully for Apes Sapien, and it's just the. You know, it's just a great performance between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Like the the, I mean, the way he speaks, he has this really dry, witty sense of humor, which is pulled off perfectly just with the gestures, right? You know, uh, that Doug Jones has, and um, you know they're gonna like they're gonna put him down on this like sewer cistern to go hunt for the eggs of Samael. <laughs> and you know, and he's like, "We live a charmed existence." I know. We? <laughs> I just love that line every time it, is it a happens. Great line. Um, and uh, I can't wait to talk about the next movie, because like, he really, yes. I really love him in the second he movie. He evolves a quite a ton. bit in the second one. Yes. But yeah, just his performance, its like he's the perfect, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know, what's the right word, buddy mm-hmm. for Hellboy? Sidekick. You know, sidekick. Not even sidekick. Not even partner. sidekick, that's not right, yeah. And you know, and he even like, they they leave him out of the finale of the movie all together, he gets hurt, and they leave mm-hmm. him behind when they go off to the finish off the third act of the movie. But he's still just a sort of charming,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know. So I really enjoy Apes Sapien a lot in this movie.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Also, Doug Jones apparently, I I, I heard this on a different podcast. His makeup uh, was so extensive that there were times he would just go home in it. Oh, that's awesome! And he would just sleep in it because it was like we'll just let's just save time if we do that. That's and, funny. <laughs>
1: yeah. I just like the scene. So the scene where he's recovering from his recuperating from his injuries, where he's mm-hmm. upside down. That yes. was his birthday.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: And apparently Guillermo del Toro um, met him up that met him that morning and was like, "Happy birthday, Doug. Today we're going to hang you upside down by your balls." <laughs> like, and they just left him by there. By your balls. <laughs> Okay. Um, but I mean, the sad part of that story is the harness that he was in. Yeah. Um, actually, was like uncomfortable and like rubbed him raw in some uh, areas, which is yeah. always sad to hear. Yeah. Um, but it just cracks me up. Like now, I just like I'll never see that scene again without being like, "Oh, happy birthday, Doug Jones!" Right. Like. <laughs> yeah. So.
0: All right. What's your final thing?
1: All right, my final. Uh, thing that I think is really cool about this movie um, it actually is two separate scenes um, oh. one of which is the final confrontation scene where Hellboy says his true name and his horns grow out mm-hmm. and his fiery crown flames yeah. in over his head Unrama he starts uh, breathing smoke mm-hmm. and the runes on his right hand like actually begin to glow. glow right? Yeah. It's a very cool scene. Yes. Um, it is. It's cinematically gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And again, this is where Guillermo del Toro um, shines. Right? Mm-hmm. He makes these very unsettling scene, like scenes beautiful. You know, where oh, yes. you see something and you're like, I shouldn't think that's as beautiful as it is because literally Hellboy is taking on his role as a leader of, of hell. Uh, I should be, that should be bad. Right. And yet I can't look away, you know? Um, and then you see it again earlier in the movie, uh, Rasputin shows broom, a vision of the future. Mm -hmm. And so you see Hellboy again in his full on demon glory where he's kind of crouching over the city and he's got his horns grown out, his flaming crown, breathing, you know, his smoke smoke again. And again, it's that idea that you get to see these like fantastical creatures in a very unsettling glory and beauty scene. Yeah. Right. So like you see it and you're like. It is a little kind of breathtaking how beautiful that scenery is, even though, um, you know, like you're like, this is the apocalypse. I shouldn't see that. So I just love those scenes. I think that um, I just think that's part of the reason I love Guillermo del Toro movies, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, pan's labyrinth was my first introduction to him. Okay. And that movie is breathtakingly beautiful and horrifying and sad all at once. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so anyway, you just have these glimpses of that in this movie. So yeah. I just, I really like those scenes. Um, and then I do like the point where, you know, back at that, the, the ending scene that I talk about, the final confrontation, Where, you know, he's about to stick his, you know, his right hand of doom into the second key to unlock the gates. Mm -hmm. And then he gets to make the choice. Myers throws the rosaries at him. He catches it. You know, um, Myers says, Uh you have a choice. Your father gave you that. Um, And, of course, Rasputin, being ridiculous, is like, no, you don't. Which, you know, I'm sorry, any teenager, and we've just established that Hellboy is acting is a 60 year old teenager right um any teacher's teenager's gonna be like you can't tell me what to do and sure enough Hellboy breaks off his horns and then stabs Rasputin with it right it's just very yeah it's a There. it's just a really good scene
0: it's a very darkly heroic yes scene yes so
1: right. that's my number three
0: Okay, well, that kind of leads greatly into my last thing, which is kind of like just Hellboy as a concept, as a hero concept. Mm-hmm. This, both in the books and in the movies, the movie does it very well as uh, too. Is this um, uh, just especially Ron Perlman's performance, very true to the source uh, material? The only real difference. I feel, is the romantic relationship that they have him in with Liz Sherman, because that doesn't exist in the books. That's completely a movie creation. But, you know, otherwise, this is a, this is a very different variation on the hero's journey, mm-hmm. really, I feel, uh, where, you know, the hero, your hero is prophesized to bring about the end of the world. Right. Right? And you see an image of it. You, know, you talked about, you know, Hellboy's true name. Uh, which as I mentioned earlier, Anang Unrama, which means, and upon his brow is set a crown of flame. Right. Well, that can't be good. Yeah. You know?
1: <laughs> Are and, we rooting for that guy?
0: Right. <laughs> and I just loved, like, in, when I first saw this movie, this idea of this guy who has this thing hanging over his head, you know, this crown that could literally appear over his head should he bring about the end of the world. Right. Over his shoulders. And he's just choosing to not be a part. He's trying to not be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Right? He's just like, "You know what? I have a job I'm good at. Right? I, I can I am nigh indestructible. You need a monster beaten up. I can do it." Uh, in the books, he's known as like this really good detective, like supernatural mm-hmm. detective. And that's what he wants. He wants to go do his job and then go back home to his giant fucking pile of pancakes. And, and his cat, five pound bowl of bacon, right or whatever he eats, and that's all he wants.
1: And his cats.
0: And his cats, which I think the cats is a movie thing too, but that's also very a fun change if right. it is. I don't remember seeing it in the books, but but just the idea that this this thing that looks like a devil, what we consider, what humanity usually thinks of, of what a, the devil would look like, you know, this herald of doom, you know, but he's on your side. He mm-hmm. actually is on the side of the angels. And yeah, but he has to still kind of balance, you know, you know, the thought of you know where do I does he, does he really care where he comes from? Does right. it matter to him? Um, it's a really interesting juxtaposition of things, you know, trying to live a human life when he's clearly not, and no right. one could ever see him as human, a nigh indestructible demon, but just that just is looking that is essentially kind of trying to be like a Joe Sixpack. Right. You know, I just want to do my job, leave. There's so many instances in the comic books where he is approached by some sort of weird occult person or supernatural being who wants to talk to him about, don't you know what you are? And he's just like, yeah, I know. You know, do I punch you in the face now so I can leave? Right. You know, and that kind of, that sense of humor, that kind of like, I'm tired of it sense of humor, the flippant way he tweets all of these super serious supernatural beings. Right. Is, Perfectly brought out in the movie. I just love that concept of this, you know, thing that could potentially be the end of all of us. But is like doing everything he can to just be one of us.
1: Right. Well, and I like that idea, the concept of a choice, too. Yeah. You know, Mm because so many of the hero's journey... Is about the fact that this is what this is his destiny, right? And it is up to you to claim your, your destiny, right. right? And in this case, you have somebody who is actively saying, "I want to make my own destiny, right? I want to make my own choices in life. Mm-hmm. I do not want to be this preordained lord of hell, mm-hmm. you know. Like I get to choose my fate." Right. Um. And I and I like that because again, so so many of the hero's journey is is about accepting your fate and mm-hmm. accepting your destiny, and accepting who you were meant to become. Right. right? And whereas Hellboy is just like, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> he was given
0: this a big stone right hand that was literally supposed to be to unlock the gates to allow this 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 hellscape in but he literally takes that thing and uses it to punch yeah the things that want him to use it right you know he uses it as a weapon against those things mm-hmm. so i just i just love that it's one of i mean it's one of my if i ever get another tattoo i want to get a tattoo of the right hand of doom
1: i know i want you to get it on your left hand
0: i already have something on my left i
1: know but i just think it would be so much fun
0: no, right hand of doom goes on the right hand.
1: I want your right hand of doom to be on your left hand. It would. It would be ironic.
0: That's 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 too much. I can't do that. <laughs> I can't get conscious conscience do that.
1: We'll see. Okay. We'll talk okay. about it later. All right. Time for some honorable mentions. mentions. So, well, I have two. Okay. Um, the first is uh, Broom's dignity when he is facing his death. Yes. At the hands of Rasputin and Cronin, right? Mm -hmm. Um, He walks in, he sees Cronin, and he's like, I, well, I see you. So that means your master's somewhere close behind. Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't run, he doesn't scream for help, he doesn't do anything. He just faces them with a quiet dignity and is like, and has a conversation, you know? Rasputin's trying to be like, ah, you've done all this work raising Hellboy, and I'm going to make sure I'll finish the job, and, you know, I have his true name. Right. And Broom just looks at him and goes, I know his name. I call him Son. It's a great, Which is just great line. a great, heart-wrenching, beautiful line. Mm-hmm. Um But, you know, but, like, there's no fear. Yeah. Or maybe there is, but he, he holds on to it. Yeah. Um, but he faces everything with a quiet dignity. Mm-hmm. And Rasputin respects that. Rasputin and him have a conversation. Yes. And Rasputin even tells him, like, this will be quick and painless, you know, versus the crazy hacking deaths that Cronin has given to other people. He doesn't want that for, you know, for... And it's not even his adversary, right? Mm -hmm. He just views this guy as interrupting his plan. Right. um, But treats him with a lot of respect. And there's even a level, I think, where you kind of get the sense that Broom feels a sense of relief dying this way, that is quick. Right. And um, versus dying from his cancer. Because it's established very early on in the movie that he has cancer. Right. Um, and he is going to be... He's dying anyway. But he doesn't want anybody else to know. Um, so, So there's almost a certain level of like, appreciation that he's getting a warrior's death like he's been working so hard he has done all of these things to defend the world um and so his death comes um in pursuit of that so i don't know i just thought it's a really kind of powerful scene um and i i just uh john hurt does a great job
0: he does he is great as uh professor broom for sure um, I'm gonna say um, the uh, uh, the the Nazi agent um, Kronin, Cronin. 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 Oh, so creepy. This is a change from the books that was a masterstroke, in my opinion. Because in the books, he's he's nothing but some scary-looking Nazi officer, like a scientist, and that's it. He has a very limited role. In the book, in the movie, it, it feels like Guillermo saw this character in the book and went. Well, he's scary. That's a scary-looking mask and stuff he has on. Let's turn him into a ninja.
1: Right. You know what's underneath of that mask? Right. Whoa. What's underneath
0: that mask? And they turn him into this just blade-slinging, uh, crazy assassin. You know, assassin that has like you know that is like doesn't have the dust for blood, and he mm-hmm. carved his own face off, and just really grotesque, weird you know deadly scary agent thing that it was just you know i was actually when i started reading the comics and i saw the change that they had made i was like well that's disappointing <laughs> you know that was that a, the
1: comic is disappointing
0: yeah the comic is disappointing because he's not he's barely in it and is not that at all mm-hmm. so that's a big change from the book that was really clever and really fun because that guy is badass yeah yeah
1: yeah he is and he's super creepy yeah um my other uh, honorable mention is the is Ivan Klimarovich which is the guy who um he's the animated corpse.
0: Oh, At yes. the end of the movie, uh-huh. that
1: Hellboy wakes back up. Um this guy's clearly a criminal. Like he's got a noose. He was buried with the noose still around his neck.
0: Yes, that guy was not a good person. He probably. was
1: not mm-hmm. a good human being in his life. Um, but I just love snarky Ivan who, you know, is hanging out um, over um, Hellboy's shoulder.
0: Yes, it's really funny. it's
1: just making all these snide comments, you know, go that way, red monkey. Right. But in in Russian. Russian, right. Um, And then, you know, he's like, at one point in time, he's like, ah, if I had legs, I'd kick your ass, you know? (laughs) And it's just, they're they're funny. It's kind of like a ridiculous scene. Mm Mm-hmm. Um but it's it's pretty funny so i like
0: it it's it's a fun thing too and um also i think it feel it like leads to cuz like in the comics hellboy's been an agent of the bprd for a few decades mm-hmm. so it shows like he knows what he is doing he's the one who has the idea like i have this i have like i know a bit of magic or whatever it is that he does to raise that guy from the dead right. and use him as like a as a map
1: mm-hmm. you know
0: so it's really i like that little bit of you know, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, I also like uh, the conflict he has with his boss. Um, <laughs> Tom Manning is the character name yeah. played by Jeffrey Tambor, who is hilarious. Just really hilarious and can't can't hates his job. It seems like mm-hmm. does not like Hellboy at all. Right. Has a really interesting speech about how you know we use you to fight monsters, and once you're done, you know fighting all the monsters, there'll still be just one left. You. You'll. You know, will right. be the last monster we have. You know, but uh, and then the little really kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say it's a beautiful moment, but it's a really neat moment when they both kind of combine to beat, you know, Cronin. Right. Right. And Hellboy's always chewing on a cigar throughout the movie. And uh, and Jeffrey Tambor is like, you know, he sees him trying to light it with this like a regular cigarette lighter. And he's like, what are you doing? It's not how you light a cigar. You light a cigar with a wooden match. And they have this little... Right, he has a moment where, like, he's like, "Here, let me light your cigar for you." You know, and this is a this is because I know cigars. This is you know, and it's kind of like yeah, that's how you do it. And it's kind of like a quiet moment. They're like, "All right, maybe you're not such an asshole." Right. They both
1: each have a moment where they look at each other and like respect.
0: Right. They they thank each other. Right. You know, he's like, "Thank you for lighting my cigar like that." Thank you for not letting me die just now. Right. That's really nice of you, Hellboy. Thanks.
1: Right. Although previously. He's just uh, cut his finger on these, like, razor-edge thing, you know, I don't know, death death daggers in the middle of a hallway, which yeah. make no sense. Yeah. I mean, it. Though, just so you know, if you're ever walking in a hallway and there are death daggers in it, that is an evil lair.
0: Well, I'm pretty Period. sure they knew that they were in one.
1: Yes, but it's supposed to be some sort of mausoleum or right. whatever. No. It's an evil lair. Okay. Um, but he cuts his finger on it, and he's like, "How? Oh man, that cut really deep, right? Oh, you know." Like, That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I just want to point out the moment where he's like, "Yeah, there will still be one one monster left." You, um, Hellboy responds to that by like picking up some sort of metal like uh, a tank of some tank kind. of something and throwing it at? over his head yeah. into the window. <laughs> like, Hellboy has a really mature response. Yes, is what I'm saying.
0: Yes, totally.
1: Um, okay. Any more honorable mentions? I think I'm okay. Okay. Uh,
0: dislikes. Dislikes. Yeah.
1: Well, I have one really big thing. Does
0: this involve Liz Sherman? It does. Okay.
1: Yeah. I don't like what they do with her as a character in this. Yeah. Like, I don't, like, what's her purpose? I mean, so, like, you get a little bit of her backstory. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, as a child, she was being picked on and kids were throwing rocks at her. Right. Um, I don't... Does that actually happen? Do kids really throw rocks at other kids?
0: Somewhere? Okay. Anyway, so
1: that happens. She catches a bunch... She loses control of her powers and catches everything on fire, right? Yeah. Kills Um, those kids. Right. So... And that's a flashback scene. Right. Right? It's her explaining why she feels so guilty about her powers. Mm -hmm. However... She's apparently been training with the BPRD her whole life. She's known Hellboy since she was a child, she says. Um, And yet, she still chooses to leave the BPRD, probably the only place that's going to understand her powers and how to help her control them, to go to a mental hospital, Mm -hmm. because that's where she's going to get control of her powers. Um. So she's like super undecisive about these, and she's like, ah, I have powers, and I don't know what to do with them, and, and apparently I want to go to a mental hospital because she doesn't want to be a freak. Like, she talks about that. They're like, oh, like, she, she wants to feel normal. Mm-hmm. So she goes to a mental hospital where they're telling her she's crazy, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me, right? Because I a, I don't think that's what psychiatric hospitals are really about. Or really for. Well, it's kind of like the movie prop of what psychiatric hospitals are. Like, they're like, oh, right. look at all the crazy people. Sure. Which I feel puts more of a stigma on mental health, which is not fair.
0: Did they call her crazy in this, though?
1: No, but they're definitely like, oh, well, you know, like, she's well, she's left alone the whole time. And I think there is a moment where they, they're showing, like, a video of her at front while she's in the clinic. Right, they're interviewing her. Right, right. Um, but anyway, so it just, it felt really kind of like that was an odd premise. Yeah. and not be for her to have left the BPRD. Right. And not um, really
0: explained really well. Right. Yeah.
1: Um, but they do talk about the fact that she like doesn't want to be a freak. Yeah. Right. Um, you can catch on fire lady. Like, I don't think that's about thinking yeah. of yourself as a freak. You have an awesome superpower. Right. I just want you to know Johnny Storm totally appreciated his. Uh, I'm sorry. I know that's the wrong... That's, that's Marvel. Right. This is Dark Horse. Can't crossover. But still. Oh. Um, Hellboy has
0: met Batman. I was just going to say.
1: But then she can't decide if she should stay with the BPRD. But mm. that's not ever actual her thing. Should she stay with Hellboy or not? Like, she's literally talking about the decision as in, do I stay with Hellboy or not? Right. Because somehow staying with him is going to mean I like it. it, That's the whole thing. It doesn't even say what that's going to mean. Like she acts like, well, I know that he really loves me. Mm -hmm. So should I stay with him because he loves me? It's not about like, well, I don't know, Liz, do you love him? Are you guys in love? How do you feel about things? Like, why are you literally agonizing over whether or not you should stay in a place? Um, without actually talking about what you, how you feel about things right um and and she never says she loves him back at any point in time right she right. talks she, like you start to see more affection as the movie goes on mm-hmm. but it's not until the final kiss you know where he's right. brought her back which inexplicably they have to take her clothes off to steal her soul
0: I'm pretty sure that's just a that's just a thing that you do in the occult That's that's just like standard operating procedure. Yeah, With like uh, evil cults.
1: Fire Maiden has literally just blown up all, like burned away all of the semiels.
0: Maybe she burned off her clothes.
1: No, it's already established that she can be on fire and burn everything around her, but her clothes stay on, right? And then somehow they're like, for this devious occult plan we have Um, where I'm going to simply open her mouth and breathe out her soul, mm -hmm. I have to undress her.
0: She was under a pretty comprehensive blanket.
1: Not that comprehensive. I'm just saying. It's just ridiculous and I don't even really understand her. Part of the time she's flirting with Myers, she's going out with him. She's like, Oh, you're sweet Like as he lets she lets right. him put his arm around her. And then suddenly she's like, No, no. I love you, Hellboy. Thank you for saving my life in my right. school. I don't know. They do a better job with her in the second movie i appreciate that i did not like what they did in this movie
0: okay so i'm gonna cheat and i'm going to agree with you until i don't because i also didn't like the love story aspect of this it felt like this was this was this is very much a movie concoction uh and i love in the books uh hellboy and liz sherman are very good friends and colleagues Mm -hmm. and that is it Right. Um, That they turned them into, you know, this kind of little bit of love triangle, you know, between Hellboy, her, and and Agent Myers. It feels very Hollywood studio. Right. You know, and I didn't like it.
1: It's totally forced. He's convincing her to come back and stay with Hellboy and he's hitting on her at the same time is so weird.
0: Yeah, he's very um, emotionally immature, which I guess maybe considering his... You know upbringing, I, I bet he didn't have a lot of women to talk to growing up on army bases. It was where he grew up, Hellboy. Yeah, okay. I was talking um, about Myers. Oh, okay. Um, I don't care about Myers, yeah, whatever. That's um, the whole point. Nobody does, but and this is something I probably should have included as like a, at least an honorable mention because there is a scene that almost saves the love relate the love interest thing angle for me so much so that I did crib this line. For our vows (laughs) when we got married, right? Hellboy finally, you know, he just like, full honesty, he's like, he looks at Liz and he says, look, I, essentially he says, look, I get it, you know, you have feeling, you probably have feelings for me and it makes you feel weird because look at me, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, so I understand, you know, you probably, it makes you feel weird, you know, and he like kind of waves his hand in front of his face, you know, I wish I could do something about this. You know, but I can't do that. But what I can do is, and he makes a joke about, you know, I'll always look this good because he doesn't age. Mm-hmm. And Then he says, but I'll never give up on you, not ever. And that's a great line. And mm-hmm. I absolutely stole it.
1: <laughs> for our wedding vows,
0: <laughs> when I said, I can promise you two things, I'll always be this funny, and I will never give up on us, yes. not ever.
1: I remember those and that's vows. where I got it
0: from, so but yeah they they kind of, they really saved the love story in the second movie. It was right. way better, and uh but yeah, it was not great in this
1: right agreed and, So um, anyway, uh, something yeah. else you didn't like
0: um, you know, some of the effects haven't aged well. there's some rubbery c g i stuff that looks mm-hmm. wonky right uh, the big uh serpentine snake monster that he fights at the end is Silly. is what it is, um but yeah those are all kind of minor quibbles I don't mm-hmm. have a ton that I really have a big issue with
1: yeah outside of kind of the Liz Sherman character yeah. development or lack thereof um, you know this is a pretty solid movie
0: yeah I really it's always it's a big favorite of mine for sure so okay so did you I have a recommendation of okay go for it my recommendation it has to do with comics of course what? Um, I am it's shocked. not specifically Hellboy Dark Horse printed a bunch of stories about the BPRD specifically,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: there's several miniseries that take place in the past, uh, like take place like right after the world, the, the Second World War, in the 40s and 50s, and they're all great. They're all super cool adventures. Specifically, I'm going to mention um, it's called BPRT 1946, and it's uh, it's a it's a it's a Professor Broom story. Uh, you know, it's after the war is over. Um, and Hellboy has, you know, is on earth, but he's been sent back to America and it's about Trevor Broom in the, the early stages of the BPRD. He's an ally occupied Germany because essentially they're like, well, we know the supernatural stuff is real. The, mm-hmm. What were the Germans really get? We need to find what else the Germans were getting into because this stuff is apparently real and very powerful. Right. What else were they up to? Also, whatever they were up to, we got to find it before the fucking Russians do. Because they know at this point that the Russians have their own weird supernatural agent. Mm -hmm. Kind of uh, opposite of Professor Broom, And it's essentially um, about... And I think the movie that came out last year at Overlord, which we watched a while back. We didn't do a podcast on it. But it's essentially about Nazis kind of making zombie monsters to fight for them. This is about uh, the Nazis find this family of vampires. They're able to identify like this... There's like three sisters they identify which one is the weakest and are able to capture her and they're using her to try to make essentially vampire Nazi soldiers. And it is about Trevor Bruden uh, finding the locating where they were doing this and kind of making sure he ends that operation and it's really uh, a wild adventure really kind of dark. Also involves it, it leads into other agents in different series having to deal with the PTSD, not just of war, but <laughs> warring with vampire Nazi soldiers. So, anyway, the BPRD miniseries uh, that take place during the Second World War are crazy good,
1: I think. Okay, awesome. Um, I actually do have a recommendation. Mm-hmm. So, if you're listening and you're like, BPRD, that sounds interesting. Right. And then you hear of a movie called R.I.P.D. Oh, no. With Ryan Reynolds and Jeff Bridges, both mm. of whom who are great actors Not the same thing. Um, my recommendation is that you not mistake the two. No. My recommendation is that no matter what, do not waste one hour and 36 minutes of your life watching Wait. RIPD.
0: Is this the first time we have recommended to not check out a thing?
1: I think so. But I feel like it's important.
0: (laughs) You are doing a public service right now. I am. For certain. That movie is shit.
1: This is, once again, evidence that I am, in fact, a public service. Yeah. Good.
0: Yes. Okay. For sure.
1: So there's my recommendation. Do don't not watch. go see that movie. It is not don't even Don't watch your thing. <laughs> You're welcome.
0: You'll thank me later when you never watch it.
1: Actually, you'll thank me later. Right. Yes, you'll thank the keys later. it, right. yes. so.
0: Okay. All right. Well, uh, next week, we're going to kind of have like a compact week scheduling-wise, but we're going to do our best to get in uh, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army.
1: Great. Right. I feel like you have to fully explore. Yeah the uh first iteration of yeah. hellboy mm-hmm. and and his growth and development before we can see the new iteration yeah. of hellboy in a couple of weeks. And, and you
0: know what? I might I know I'm going to wait to say for certain until we see it again, but you know, I might like it better. Mm. So, hey. All right, until next week when we're hopefully going to do Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. Yeah. Uh thanks for listening to the Cold Beer and Cool Movie podcast. Uh find us on SoundCloud and Subscribe and download our episodes on Apple Podcasts and iTunes and most other places where you can find podcast things. And, uh, yeah, shoot us an email. Tell us what you thought of Hellboy, any Hellboy-related things, beers to recommend, uh, questions. And, uh, yeah, uh, send those emails to ddkpodcasting at gmail.com. And until next week.
1: Go see a movie.
0: Thanks, everyone, for listening.